You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. This is Jason Witter, author, illustrator of Tiniest Vampire and Monsters Eating Ice Cream, and you are listening to Aaron's Horror Show. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm your host, Aaron Frail. On Aaron's Horror Show, we're going to go ahead and read some horror fiction and talk about horror in all its forms, books, movies, you name it. If you want to go ahead and get a hold of the show, you can go ahead and contact Aaron's Horror Show at Gmail or Aaron Horror Show on Twitter or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hi, welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. You can probably hear it in my voice, but I'm still a little bit sick right now. It's those Minnesota winters. Minnesota is just, like, punishing when it comes to being sick, you know what I mean? Like, it does not relent. And so, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and and push through it and get this podcast out for you. Uh... You know, I also want to thank everyone that that showed their support of me uh, when when I told everyone that I was sick. That's really great. Uh, Thank you so much for all your support that you gave me. I really do appreciate it. Uh, You know, I also wanted to go ahead and and talk to you uh, about uh, about this new book that I have that's coming out. Uh, It's a it's a new book. And and, uh, I right now have it up on this uh, this service called Kindle Scout. It's a it's through Amazon, and and what Kindle Scout is, it's kind of a place where people go nominate books that they'd like to see published, and so uh, my book, my latest one, is going to be up on Kindle Scout, and I would definitely appreciate if 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 you like it, if you want to see it published, to go ahead and and uh, give it a nomination. I'll go ahead and leave the link in the show notes, just so you can go ahead and take a look and I'd super appreciate it if you just go you know click on that link and then and then throw me a nomination if you want to see the book published uh when I say published they're publishing it through Amazon and the the best thing is if it does get published through Amazon they give a free Kindle edition to everyone who who nominated so not only will you get it for free but uh you could go ahead and help me out and and of course, helping me out with uh, getting a book through Amazon, that's kind of like helping the show out because, you know, uh, it helps me, of course, have more time to uh, do more shows because, you know, when, when, when I'm published through somebody else, I, I get to have them do all that marketing stuff. And instead of me right now, I do all the marketing myself. So I think actually I'm going to break format a little bit. And I'm going to go ahead and read you the first chapter of my new story. Maybe, maybe chapter two. We can, we can see how far we get. But I'm going to go ahead and just read you this story. Uh, it's called Orion. 
And uh, I've been working on this one for a while now, and, and I'm kind of excited about it. In fact, I, I almost read Orion in the podcast instead of Tuners. I almost decided to choose Orion as the story that I was going to read, but I didn't feel there was, you know, uh, you probably are familiar with my writing by now, for those of you that have been like a, a, a long-term listeners, you know, I, I'm sure from tuners, you notice that there's a big blend of genres going on in there. There's a little bit of science fiction, a little bit of kind of magic mysticism, and there's some horror, you know, with the cultists. And actually when they get later on in the story, the cultists kind of amp up that horror there a little bit. So, so, uh, you'll, you'll get to see more of that, uh, but you like to see that I really love to blend, you know, basically my, my genres. I love to do something that's a little bit horror, a little bit sci-fi, a little bit, you know, fantasy. And, and this story, I think, is a really good, a good blend. But I think Orion didn't quite have as much of the horror in it as, as some of my other stories. There are some pretty horror moments in, in, in Orion, but I would say definitely like the fantasy and the science fiction are a stronger element than the horror part of it. And so that's why I decided ultimately on tuners over, over this one, uh, just because I think the, the blend is a little bit more equal footing with the different elements of the story. Whereas this one is a little bit more straight up kind of fantasy, kind of sci-fi, uh, but there is a little bit of horror elements in there. Either way, I think if you like tuners, you like this story. And uh, I'll go ahead and just read the first chapter. And then, uh, you know, if you like it, go ahead and go to that Kindle Scout page and uh, and give me a nomination, and I, I would sure appreciate that. So without further ado, Orion, Life One. The first time I died was rather unremarkable, though necessary for telling the story. It was a gloomy, overcast day, and I was a Roman soldier. I waited on the front lines in anticipation of the vast horde of snarling barbarians in the distance. There was damp and smelled of fresh rain, a horrid smell when you combine it with the blood and bowel movements from the battle to come. My fellow soldiers were not much older than me. I could see the fear in their eyes. I tensed my face in the meanest expression I could. In hindsight, I probably looked just as afraid as the rest of them. Even though I was only seventeen winters, I was ready to prove myself in the art of war and win glory for the Roman Empire. It didn't matter that I could barely lift a sword or that my shoulders slouched from the weight of the armor. I was ready to die. However, I wasn't planning on it. Before the armies assembled on the battlefield, I had been the head stable boy, and I mucked for the finest steeds in all the land, and I was proud to scrape horse poo. I was a lower-class aqueduct worker's son, who was now essential part of the entourage of the great Aurelicus. I also had taken myself way too seriously back then. I'm glad I got more than 17 winters of life. I would have been an insufferable little snot otherwise. But that sense of duty and honor I felt back then was precisely how Aurelicus suckered me into fighting on the front line in a battle where the Romans were almost guaranteed to lose. 
It had all started in his tent on the eve of war. The old coot beckoned me forward. Aurelicus was a crusty fellow with white Roman curls. His robes were the finest in all of Rome, woven with gold and encrusted with jewels. Women who could have been his granddaughter surrounded him, and most of them were wearing next to nothing. They peeled his grapes, fanned him with a palm branch, and poured his wine. I felt intimidated at the time because he had the presence of a god, and I was a lowly stable boy. He bellowed across the tent, Orion! Orion, come forth! Oh yeah, quick note, my name's Orion, or at least that's the name for my first life. I had other names after that, almost too many to count, but Orion was the one I liked the best. On with the story. I walked up to the raised platform where Aurelicus looked down at me with stern, hollow eyes. Master? I sputtered. Orion, the hour is late, and I imagine you're wondering why I have called you from the stables. Aurelicus began. I didn't know what to say. I'd never been in the tent before, much less heard two words directed at me from Aurelicus. My discomfort didn't seem to stop him. Orion, my boy, we are living in grave times indeed. The barbarians are at the doorsteps of Rome, and tomorrow the might and the glory of the Roman Empire will be tested. My liege, we will pass this test and defeat the barbarians. That is what Romans have always done. That is what we always do, I said. Again, I took myself way too seriously back then. Aurelicus laughed. <laughs> oh, my boy. If only it were that simple. Do you know how I got all this? He gestured to the tent full of riches of all the women attending his every need. Strength in combat and victory in battle? I said. That's part of it. The other part is wits. You can defeat ten men in battle, but it only takes one to outwit you. Remember that. Your wits are how you'll survive. He then bestowed upon me the rank of infantryman and gave some speech about the glory of the Roman Empire. It brought a tear to my eye my first life, but I skipped it for this retelling. Mainly because it makes me barf a little every time I hear it. How naive I was to think that the greatest general in all the world would see me, the poop cleaner, as a warrior. In reality, he was padding the front line so his real warriors wouldn't die in the first wave. I didn't know what cannon fodder was back then, but there I was, excited to become first-class fodder man, the infantry meat shield. A toothless man in shabby clothes took me away to get fitted for my armor and weapons. The armor was a joke. It was taken off the back of a dead infantryman. The keyword being man. I was a teenager who was a little too small for my age bracket. The armor made me feel like I was being crushed into the earth. The toothless man saw my duress and said, It gets easier the longer you wear it. It was a shame I only got to wear it for one day. After I was fitted for my armor, he brought me over to the weapons tent and shoved a sword into my hand. It was too heavy to lift and it clunked onto the ground. 
I tried to ask for a smaller one, but he was already shuffling me out the door and directing me towards the soldiers' tents. I dragged my sword through the mud. I had to take several breaks to heave with exhaustion and throw up, until I finally made it to a group of soldiers sitting around a fire. They were singing jaunty war songs, drinking and making merry. I attempted to insert myself around the fire with them, but they made sure to close any gaps in the seating arrangement. Dejected and alone, I dragged my sword to a tree that was overlooking a nearby creek. I shed my armor, splashed my face with water, and drank. Afterwards, I sat under the tree and looked at the moonlight poking through the branches. Just before I drifted off to sleep, I had a vision. It was of myself. I was older and concentrating on something very hard. My hair was cut short, but in this really odd hairstyle. A woman snuck up behind me and kissed my cheek. She was the most beautiful person I had ever seen. Her eyes were deep blue like cracked crystal. Her hair was golden like the rays of the sun. It was her face that lulled me into a deep sense of relaxation, and I was able to drift into a deep, content slumber. Also, did I mention that it rained later that night? Fucking nature. The next day, I faced my immediate horrible death from a horde of snarling, angry barbarians. I was in a line of servants, squires, and stable boys who had been called into battle. Behind us were the real infantrymen. They were locked into a tortoise shell configuration, and only about half of my unit had shields. In fact, some of my guys only had shields. The army across the way were large men in hide furs with battle axes. They had painted themselves with blood and were screaming battle cries. The two armies faced each other on the confluence of the rivers Tiber and Alia, about 11 miles north of Rome. It was a scenic and quite serene when the ground wasn't soaked with the blood of fallen soldiers. When Aurelicus shouted the orders to attack, I raced towards the horde. However, my armor and sword slowed me down, the blade dragging along behind me in the dirt. So what was a race for most was sort of a fast shuffle for me. My unit clashed with the barbarians a full 30 seconds before I made it to the battle. For a brief moment, I was in this weird spot where I got to watch the barbarians hack to shreds all the people who had been standing next to me moments before. And behind me was this tight tortoise shell of shields and spears marching towards the broken line of barbarians. For maybe a second or two, I thought I could survive. Maybe my fellow Roman soldiers would open a hole large enough for me to fit through, and I could hold a spear instead. My dreams were shattered when I saw an angry man with wild eyes break from the battle ahead and rush towards me. He gripped a double-bladed battle axe the size of a horse's ass above his head with one hand. The man was undoubtedly the inspiration for the titans from the Greek myths. His eyes bugged out as he charged, and I lifted my sword with all of my might. Then, just as he was on top of me, by some miracle, I was able to raise my sword high enough to block the weapon, swinging at my head. The sword deflected the blow to my right shoulder blade, where the axe cut through most of the muscle and bone. I collapsed to the ground in fear and pain and futilely tried to reattach my arm. It was a weird thing to do when dying. Like if I could just pop it back into place, all would be better and I could go back to mucking. The barbarian didn't even slow down after he wounded me. He went right by and was presumably killed by the tortoiseshell infantry which passed overhead moments later. I remember being taken aback by their lack of regard for their fallen comrade. They trampled me! 
stepping on my face, chest, and even my arm stump. I spent the rest of the battle bleeding out from the wound. Eventually the pain receded and my body went numb. During that time I gazed at the clouds overhead. They were gorgeous, wispy white puffs that made the sky look like a grand tapestry. It was a beautiful day. Strangely, I wasn't sad or angry that I was dying. I felt proud to have given my life for the Roman Empire. I wept not with tears of regret, but with joy. I was such a sap back then. For most people, that would be it. Fade out, roll credits, this was your life. For me, it was just the beginning of figuring out who or what I really was. And while I didn't think about my first life too much, there was one point that I should have understood sooner. Most people think that when a soldier dies on a battlefield, honored to have sacrificed themselves for their country, that's it. They drift to the netherworld. But the reality is, is that dying is a long, drawn-out, painful process. When I finally came to terms with my death, it wasn't over. I bled, and then bled, and then bled some more. I must have been close to drowning in a pool of blood when I finally saw my first human. At that point, I was delirious and drifting in and out of consciousness. I can no longer tell you that I was a part of the Roman Empire or that I was proud to be dying for it. I was moments away from my final breath, which was labored and intense, even though I was too numb to feel it. That's when another teenager about my age, with a mop of dirty brown hair and a wry smile, looked over my soon-to-be corpse. I didn't know his name at the time, so for the purpose of this narrative, I'm going to call him Stabby, for what he did next. He pulled out a long, thin dagger from his belt and looked me right in the eye and said, Sorry, bro. He poked the dagger right through my eye socket into my skull, and then I was dead. The weird part was not that somebody had come to kill me. That's actually a very typical post-battlefield job, arguably worse than cannon fodder. Stabby had to poke into the skull of all the people who were writhing in pain waiting to die at the end of battle. Medical attention sucked back then. Literally, leeches were the number one treatment for just about anything. So it was better just to kill all the wounded, at least the ones who were too injured to stand on their own. The weird part was that Stabby had said, Sorry, bro. And I didn't know it at the time, but bro wasn't exactly in the Roman dictionary. Strange final words to hear for a person who gave his life for the glory of the Roman Empire. All right, that was the first chapter. I'm I'm kind of having fun reading this. I thought I'd maybe talk about a movie for a little bit, but but you know, we got some time left in this podcast. Maybe I'll just uh give you a little preview of the second chapter. I don't know if I'm going to have time to go through the entire second chapter. Uh but yeah, maybe I'll read a little bit of of chapter 2 so uh so you kind of get the feel of where the story's going. All right. Life, too. After a person dies, there's nothing at all. At least for me. It's a big, dark void where I don't exist. Let me rephrase that. I could exist. There might be heaven or hell or a Cerebus at the other side of the river Styx, but I never remember what happens after I die. I close my eyes in a previous life and open them up in a new one, with one minor caveat. My memories are in place. My father in my second life beat out any predilection to ponder why I had Roman stable boy memories overlapping peasant boy memories from somewhere in medieval England. 
So I didn't spend much of my second life wondering why I had two sets of memories and thought it was a story to take me away from my monstrous father. He didn't just beat me when my mind wandered, he smacked me around when Blight destroyed our potatoes, when the mule died on the way to market. He did it when he was drunk and when he was sober. He beat me when I didn't keep the stew hot enough or failed to haul these two buckets from the stream. The whole abuse of father thing was a real pity too, because my second life's childhood home was even more beautiful than the field where the Tiber and the Alia rivers met. I lived in this thatched roof house on the edge of a thick forest with trees old enough for Merlin to be taking naps in the trunk. There was a crystal clear lake with fresh cold water and an old oak tree that was a great place to hide from my father so long as I wasn't gone too long. The countryside was majestic and stretched from horizon to horizon with raw, unkempt nature. There was a cross off to the side of the house to mark where my mother and sister were buried. They didn't even make it through childbirth. Sometimes I wonder if that's why he hit me. He was stuck with this useless boy who dreamt off of faraway places while his life partner rotted below the earth. One crisp morning during my teenage years, while I was gathering berries for the winter preserves, I saw the most exciting thing I had ever seen in two whole lives. Coming down the road was a grand procession of men on horseback. They were wearing shiny metal armor and flew banners of the king. Right in the center was this elaborate carriage, and inside was a beautiful maiden with long, curly, golden curls framing her perfect face. I climbed a tree to get a better look at her, and right as the procession passed, the bow broke, and like the song, I tumbled to the ground and rolled in front of the carriage, startling a horse. I quickly righted myself and used some of my first-life knowledge to calm that beast. Before I could show off any stable boy skills, the captain of the guard yanked me away from the steed and yelled, We have a highwayman, my lady. Shall I dispose of him for attempting to rob your ladyship? I didn't rob anybody, I croaked. I was still afraid of death during those days. Shut up, boy, the captain raised his hand to smack me, but the woman in the carriage called out, Wait, she demanded, and the captain lowered his hand. A woman who was not only beautiful but could stop beatings? I was in love. Bring the child here, the woman said. Milady, I said, and could feel my heart pounding in my chest. The captain shoved me towards the carriage and held his hand on his sword. It was the old, try anything and I'll decapitate you threat. At the time, I was turned into a drooling pile of horse poo because I was about to encounter a real woman. Even though I'd already had one more life than most people got, I never touched a woman or even got to be so close to one. In my first life, I died before anything but buck, really. Because women weren't exactly lining up to date the stable boy. In this life, I was worse off. As a teenager living with his dad in the woods, the only women who lived close were in a village. My dad never let me leave the cart when we went to town, so I had to lust after them from afar. The village, however, wasn't known exactly for its beauty. The number of missing teeth and warts were metrics used to compare attractiveness. Uh, for example, the best-looking man in town only had three warts and only one of them was visible on his face. The hottest woman was missing three teeth and only half of the remaining chompers were stained with rot. I had laid awake many nights in the tiny crawl space in the attic among the spiders, 
I reminisced about glances I stole when I caught a patch of bearskin underneath the hood of a villager. It was enough to get by because I really didn't know anything else. And, and now, a real-life noblewoman, who was an angel descended from the heavens, she wanted to see me, and when I got closer, I realized she looked my age. I was stunned. Thankfully, she spoke first before I liquefied into a pile of mango. Tell me, boy, she said, what were you doing in that tree? Uh, I did cow, birds, uh, stuff, was the extent of my vocabulary. You aren't perhaps trying to steal a glance of the prize for the tournament tomorrow. A tournament? What tournament? The captain slapped me and said, Are you so naive, boy, that you do not know about the king's plans? I don't leave the farm much, I managed to say. He smacked me again and said, It is the duty of all king's subjects to know of the king's plans. Enough, Grimwald, the princess said. My father will award a kiss from my lips to the bravest subject in the land. Do you plan to enter the tournament tomorrow? Her guards roared with laughter, and the captain said, The whelp would kiss a headstone before he got near your lips, my lady. The princess chided him. Come now, Grimwalt. Is it not the founding principle of our king that all people are equal under God? So shouldn't this young man enter the tournament so he will have an equal chance at winning my affection as any other? This boy would no better have a chance at winning your heart than finding a dragon that shits golden eggs, Grimwald said, determined to keep me in my place. At the time, I was more than happy to oblige. <laughs> Sorry, my lady, I didn't mean to disturb your journey. I held you up for far too long. More afraid of looking her in the, in the eye than the captain who would like nothing more to uh, run me through, I backed up into another soldier. Nonsense, the princess said. You've added more interesting conversation in these few moments than Grimwalt could provide in a fortnight. I trust that I'll see you at the tournament tomorrow. I stammered, unable to comprehend what was happening. Grimwalt smacked me and yelled, Answer her, boy! Yes, ma'am. Good, the princess said. Let it be known that under the eyes of the king everyone is equal. Be them coated in the dust of a farm or slathered in riches, everyone is to be treated with the same dignity. Best you remember that, Grimwalt. This boy may very well be your king one day. Yes, milady, Grimwalt said and then gave me the stink eye. The princess ordered the entourage forward, and they all marched on. A cloud of dust enveloped me, and I choked. Grimwalt mounted his horse and lingered until the caravan rounded the corner. I was about recovered from the assault of dust when Grimwalt held his sword to my neck. You sullied the princess's good name, he spat. I will kill you before I let you sully the throne as well. But since the princess requests your presence tomorrow, I must let you live for now. The princess has taken a liking to you, though I can't imagine why. Which means you will attend tomorrow, you will fight, or I'll burn your farm to the ground, murder you goats, and you will die a coward. Grimalt spurred his horse into a gallop and kicked up more dust. Between coughs, I managed to sputter. Uh, the princess likes me? All right. 
So that is uh, Orion. Just a little sneak preview of the book Orion. Uh, that's all I'm reading of it. So, man, if you want to go ahead and read the rest and and, and uh, figure out the rest, you're going to have to go to Kindle Scout. Uh, once again, it's in the show notes. Uh, click on that little nominate button for Orion. There's actually a bigger excerpt up there, so you can read a little bit more than where I read to uh, by going... Uh, to that Kindle Scout page and taking a look at the book. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, the whole campaign is up for a month, so if you got any friends, relatives, anyone you know that might like this book, hey, tell them, because, yeah, anyone who nominates gets it for free, so you can't be free, right? Cool. Well, you know, I really appreciate everyone's help on that, and I am, uh, you know, glad that you're all just listening to the show and it's nice to be back recording again. Cool. So I will see you next week. And don't forget, Real Paranormal Activity is on Mondays. And of course, I'm on Tuesdays. Terry's Mysterious Moments on Wednesdays. And The Sandman's Lullaby, which comes to you in a dream. Or at least as a Phantom podcast. So, I don't know why I'm speaking with a British accent. It's probably because I started doing it when I was reading the Krimwald character. Maybe I should just do this whole podcast in that voice, right? Everyone in England is like, oh god, your accent's terrible. Just please don't. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll stop now. Uh, anyways, I had fun reading that. Anyways, Next week, it's back to back to movie reviews, back to tuners, back to the, the, the same format. I just wanted to, to kind of put that out there because I'm, I'm excited about this book. Oh, and one more thing about the book. Check out the cover art, man. The cover art is like my favorite cover art for any book I've ever had. The artist was just, he's good, man. Like that cover art, I was just very excited. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is because, you know, you'll, you'll see what it is and it'll make totally sense after hearing about the princess character and the main character sort of mission throughout the book. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, thank you so much for listening and have a good night.